This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn how to set the stage for optimal learning at any age with Dr. Gordon Chang. We'll find out how to discuss the concept of consent with your kids with Carlisle Jansen. We'll discuss the top tips and myths for fall garden cleanups with Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll forecast our Toronto Michelin star picks with Bridget Foisy. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. You probably know that a lack of sleep is associated with increased risk of cardiovascular disease, depression, diabetes, hypertension, and sexual dysfunction. A new study out of UC Berkeley shows that a lack of sleep also affects social interactions, making people less willing to help others. MRI scans of the sleep-deprived reveal less activation of empathy parts of the brain. There may soon be a new weapon in our centuries-old battle against germs, the first durable coating that can quickly kill bacteria and viruses and keep on killing them for months at a time. Developed by a team of University of Michigan engineers and immunologists, it proved deadly to SARS-CoV-2, E. coli, MRSA, and a variety of other pathogens. It killed 99.9% of microbes, even after months of repeated cleaning, abrasion, and other punishment on real-world surfaces like keyboards, cell phone screens, and chicken-slathered cutting boards. No, it wasn't just you. Researchers at UC Irvine have determined that the passage of time was altered for many people during the COVID-19 pandemic, ranging from difficulty in keeping track of days of the week to feeling that the hours themselves rush by or slowed down. In prior work, these distortions have been associated with persistent negative mental outcomes, such as depression and anxiety following trauma, making them an important risk factor to target with early interventions, according to a new study. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Dr. Gordon Chang in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry, looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles uh, and conference proceedings, and he's a regular guest on this show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you doing? 
Jamie, and how is summer treating you? Or coming to the end of it, I should say. Yeah, well, you know, it was it was an interesting time. You know, even though I'm not in school, I still, you know, I still get the the butterflies in my stomach beginning of September, and you know, I have you know work mares or, or, or like school mares where I'm like I'm thinking like I'm writing an exam or something like that still comes up, even though I haven't <laughs> been in school in years. I know how you feel, and I, I was just thinking of all the the, the new parents, uh, thinking of oh, little Johnny's going back to school, or little Samantha is going back to school. We have to prepare all sorts of things for them. You know, how do I optimize your learning? How do I optimize your health? What can I do for, as far as making sure they eat well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like most of us, if we have kids, I still remember when my kids were young. Daddy, I don't like this. Or Daddy, I don't like that. And I say, but that's good for you. Says, yeah. I don't care, Daddy. I just don't like it. And yeah. they don't eat, right? Yeah. So with that in mind, I'm, I'm just going to say there are lots of different things available out there as a way of supplementing whatever they, they consume. And I, I always think uh, one of the things with kids is that they should always have a good multivite, mm-hmm. a multivitamin for themselves. And I believe a lot of it is that you can get, I think, you know, things like the protein intake should be good, your fats, carbohydrates, you have to watch all of those things. Well, you know, particularly with kids, right? Because they're going to gravitate to the food right. that, that may not have the nutrients, right? Like yeah. the- and there's certain things that we can prepare, which if you give it to them as a supplement, nobody wants it because they say, hey, I don't want to take that. Yep. But one of the best things I, I see that out there, there's, I mean, we do a protein that has vitamins and minerals already in the protein. Oh, wow. You know what's nice about that is that we can use it in many fun ways. You can add it to pancakes in the morning. If you're going to make a pancake, right, and that's an easy thing to do, right, Mm -hmm. you just take a scoop of the protein. It's a way of enriching your pancake. So you have enriched proteins, but you also have the vitamins. You also have the extra minerals in there, which does wonders as far as developmental raw materials for the kids. Mm-hmm. And as we know nowadays, you know, if you have a kid that's a fussy eater, you always wonder, are they getting enough protein? And for growing children, protein is is king. Right. I remember like growing up, you know, like preparing for school, you know, like you do that big shop beforehand and, you know, you get the pencil crayons and the crayons and the workbooks and the erasers and the pencil case and the lunchbox. But I, I think what you're saying now is, is there's more to it now. Like people are preparing, you know, with vitamins, which never was the case when I was growing up. But Yeah, well, you know, as it is, kids, I, I think, are more fussy today. Yeah. Back in the day when I was growing up, I used to say, like when I speak to my parents, they used to say, oh, you guys have it easy. He says, when we were young, we never had this snack, that snack, and, you know, we weren't fussy because there wasn't that much food, so whatever you got, you ate, right? Yep. Today, you know, the kids say, I don't like eggs, I don't need this, I don't need that. So nutrition has become a big thing. I'll tell you what else is an issue, Gordon, is there just seems to be more of a prevalence of food allergies and maybe sensitivities as well, mm-hmm. so that when you have a family, you could have different kids, you know, one may choose to go vegetarian or vegan, but one may be allergic to nuts or, you know, one may have a poppy seed allergy or they don't like this or that. And just cobbling together family meals can be a challenge to make sure that everybody's eating healthy. Yeah, and that's true. And one of the things that we don't realize is when you avoid one thing, you're not only avoiding that particular food, but there's a lot of nutrients in that, in that particular food that is important for development. 
Right. right? Um, so this is why, you know, you need to supplement sometimes. So when you're talking about supplement, like, is it okay for kids to supplement with stuff like probiotics or omega-3 oils? Like, is that relevant for kids? Oh, definitely. Especially if your kids are picky eaters. And I, and I hate to say this, no, it is. It seems that every kid I have run across or anybody who has kids, they all say, all my kids are picky eaters. Right. Right. So uh, things like especially omega-3s, fish oil. Fish oil is important for the development, mental development of kids, for, you know, brain matter, etc. You need some of this fish oil. But I always say to everybody, there's not one single magic bullet. The, the problem with a lot of things nowadays is that if you look at the advertising, they say, oh, just take this one thing and your kid is going to be a superstar. Right. No, it doesn't work that way unfortunately you need different things for example strong bones right mm-hmm. you need to make sure that they're having calcium and so on in their diet but calcium alone is not good enough because if you don't add some vitamin d to the calcium it inhibits you know vitamin d increases the absorption and the utilization of calcium right so you need all of those things but you need to look at the fundamentals which is your protein intake also um, the probiotics are also good because one of the things with probiotics is that it helps with the microbiome of the growing child or develop a better microbiome. And what that does is it translates into better health, better cognition, because it seems that the type of probiotics that you have in your gut affects cognition. Yep. But again, it is usually not one single bacteria, kind of bacteria in the gut that makes you helps with cognition. It's usually the balance of the bacteria. So sometimes people see a, a study that says, "Oh, this microbiome is associated. This particular bacteria is associated with better cognition." But what they don't realize is that if I was to go in there and take out all the other bacteria and just put that one particular bacteria, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's probably detrimental. What you have to do is all about balance. Okay. Right. Well, one thing we should also realize also is that as kids go back to school, they are going to run into their friends who, you know, every single kid I know is a germ factory. No kidding. All right. So they're going to run into their friends who they'll pick up a cold from, etc. So you've got to look into things like boosting the immune system. And there are many things to boost the immune system. Probiotics will help. But again, it's not the be all and the end all. It's just one one chain in the chain link, one link in the chain, I should say. And then there are things like there's herbal things that you can take that will help boost the immune system. Are there any supplements that you think are inappropriate for kids that you would say, like, don't go there because it's, it's not, either it's not necessary or the bodies, because they're not fully developed, really shouldn't be taking the nutraceutical? I don't think there's anything out there per se. I mean, okay. I mean, when you ask the question, there are many different things of out course. there. Okay, yeah. Yeah. so it's going to be difficult to cover everything known to man and then some. Right. Okay, but what I would say is that if you're going to take something, just take a balanced approach. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't focus on the one thing and consume it as if there's no tomorrow. For example, you know, everything is safe in the correct amount. Everybody thinks water is safe, but I'll tell you, if you drink enough water, right, Mm -hmm. you can die from overdose of water. It's true. And water is one of the things that everybody will say to you, it's quite safe. Yeah. Right? So it boils down to quantity, how much. Right? And as long as you stick with quantity and do a balanced approach to all of these things, you usually can't go wrong. Okay. So my kids are older. They're just like they're kind of in school. Mm Mm-hmm. Are there any differences for older kids in terms of supplementation that you would recommend? What I would do with older kids, because they usually, it's a different lifestyle. Some of them are active, some of them are not as active, but definitely 
increase protein intake. Because a lot of kids, if you're, especially if you, if your kids are vegetarian or vegan, right, and we know there's lots of kids who, who decide I'm going to give up meat, etc., they need more protein. Kids who, if you're in university and you're studying, you need to increase your intake of omega-3 fatty acids, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Kids who do a lot of sports need more protein, mm-hmm. right? You, usually, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, we can get protein from our meat and so on. And that's fine, right? But as long as you're eating sufficient quantities. And the nice thing about things like protein, etc., a little bit extra doesn't hurt. Okay. What about to sort of mediate anxieties or just sort of keep your emotional health straight? There are things for that, you know, like omega-3s help with some of those things, like cognitive right. Um, yeah. things, right? does help with some of those things. But again, we're trying to generalize. And, and then sometimes when you talk about anxieties, etc., different people have different ways of dealing with anxieties. I, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to rush out and buy some like a valerian or something like that or cava-cava for your anxiety. It depends on coping strategies. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, some kids have better coping strategies than others. But as I said, some of these things like the Kaaba will help calm you down. Some of these things like the Valerian will help calm you down. But my preference is if to use other coping strategies, like go hang out with your friends. Yep. Right. For me, that's always better than sitting at home by yourself and sucking back a tablespoon of Valerian. Don't get me wrong. We have Valerian. We can sell you Valerian. Sure. But that's not the point. You know, I much prefer people have other coping strategies, especially for things like that. How does vitamin B fit into the big picture? They call some B vitamins are called stress vitamins. Yeah. They call stress vitamins because they use, when you break down food, it's used in the formation of things like ATP, right? ATP is one of the things that drive a lot of biochemical reactions in the body. So things like even muscles contraction needs ATP. Yep. Right. So the more ATP you can generate, the better off you are. So even things like thinking, mm-hmm. you need ATP for that. Maintaining electrolyte balance requires ATP. Everything in the body requires ATP. Right. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, you can just consume ATP. No, it doesn't work that way because even if you consume it, it may not get into your cell. Right. So the B vitamins is a way of, how, how would I say, priming the mechanisms to, for ATP formation. It enhances that, that ATP formation mechanism. So B vitamins are usually a good thing. That's why they're called stress vitamins. Okay, so I know from our discussions, one of your expertise is dealing with free radicals, and I know we've discussed adaptogens. Are adaptogens necessary or relevant for our kids? Free radicals are the bane of most of our existence, but it's also one of the things that is necessary for your existence. Free radical mechanisms is one way that destroys bacteria and viruses. But too much free radicals or free radicals run amok is also bad. Again, you need to consume some antioxidants because what the antioxidants do is to keep the free radicals in check. Mm-hmm. You need some, but too much is not a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. But there are many different types of antioxidants. Right? There's what they call the phytonutrients, which have antioxidant activity, mm-hmm. but you have things like vitamin C, which is also an antioxidant. Mm-hmm. Right? But 
the key with antioxidants is, is to have a wide variety of them. So people who eat a lot of fruits and vegetables get a lot of antioxidants. And you'll never find anybody who will say, you know what, you're eating too much fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Everybody True. is saying in today's society, eat more fruits and vegetables. And there are many studies that have come out to say that if you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, you'll live longer. The reason for that is also because fruits and vegetables have a lot of fiber. Right. It also has a lot of antioxidants. And again, things like that, fiber keeps the elimination process going. So it minimizes, so if you have a lot of toxins, it minimizes the absorption of toxins because if it keeps you going normal, you minimize the transit time of stool in your body. So it minimizes toxin absorption. So, you know, when we go down this pathway, it's very, how would I say this? It's, it's very difficult to just pin it down to one thing and one thing only. What about adaptogens for stress? Adaptogens is one of the great things because as students, especially older students, now I wouldn't recommend adaptogens for younger kids, but for older kids in, in university, etc. because the stress level for kids at university is a lot higher. To the point that some people, they have problems sleeping, they're all stressed out. Adaptogens work wonderfully for that. So one of the things, like adaptogens like ginseng, for example, right, ashwagandha, there's many different types of adaptogens, Siberian ginseng. What these adaptogens do, they help them sleep better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, usually if you can sleep better, meaning a deeper sleep, you wake up feeling much more refreshed. If you wake up feeling much more refreshed, you can take on the world, right? Adaptogens also give them more energy. Now, sometimes it's what comes first and what comes after, because if you sleep better, you have more energy to begin with, right? But some of these adaptogens also work to give you more energy. Now, it's not the kind of energy that you'd get from drinking an extra cup of coffee, because I find with coffee, you drink a cup of coffee, you're wired, but it's more difficult to focus, the energy you would get from an adaptogen allows you to focus better on the task that you're doing. So for cognitive health, adaptogens are good for that too. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me on again. And I will speak to you again next month. Yep. For more information about Gordon's company, visit omegaalpha.ca. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to talk to your kids about consent on The Tonic. Join the Big Carrot for their Courtyard Market on Sunday, September 11th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can shop local vendors and enjoy an organic lunch special on the green roof. Samples, book sales, live music, kids face painting, and big deals. It's fun for the whole family. Admission is free. Stop by at 348 Danforth Avenue. The Big Carrot, your one-stop shop for everything health and wellness. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. 
She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. She can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show, Carlisle. How are you? Hello, Jamie. I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. It's September. And, yes. you know, it's funny. For me, it still feels like the beginning of the year. Because, you know, yeah. like it's for so many reasons, like yeah. New, New Year's is kind of like in the middle of the year and yeah. everything sort of militates towards, you know, going back to work, going back to school. For sure. And along those lines, we're, we're going to talk about kids today mm-hmm. and talk about discussions about sexual consent, which is super important. Yes, it is. It's very important at all ages. So I think the first question, which a lot of people struggle with, is how old should a child be before you have a discussion about consent with them? I mean, I think it starts from day one, really, (laughs) you know, in terms of telling, you know, kids, you know, I'm going to change your diaper now, you know, I'm going to do this. Now, of course, sometimes they're like, no, I don't want you to and say, you know, I'm sorry, I have to do this. But when they start having more autonomy, certainly, and the big one is around hugs. Yeah. And so I think as young as they are aware to answer yes or no, I think it's okay to teach them, you know, to ask before they hug someone. You want to also, you know, talk to the other adults in their lives and saying, you know, we ask before hugging. And so even, you know, though Aunt Susan or Grandpa are coming over, it's, you know, can I, do you want a hug? So that they feel some autonomy. And we need to talk about sometimes they might not want a hug. and. And that's okay, too, and to really, um, so that people feel empowered and also to not take it personally, right? It's like, I don't feel like a hug. This is about me. And so part of it is educating a generation or two of people who feel like, you know, kids, we're entitled to hugging our kids. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. It can be a hard discussion. I would imagine having it with an older generation might be confusing to them as, as sure. you know. Yeah. I think the other side of the equation is, so for me, I'm always a learner. I always had to know why, right? Right. So it's like if somebody tells me something, I may or may not go along with it. I'm pretty independent. But if you explain it to me, I will understand it better and probably more readily agree. Mm -hmm. Can we have those types of discussions with kids to explain why it's it's necessary to ask? Like, do you do that? Yeah, I think so. I think you say this is your body. Right. And this is this is your place. You get to make choices about your body to a certain extent, obviously. And so things around touch. Right. If you don't want touch, that's okay. If somebody else doesn't want touch, that's okay. And there's great books that you can get to read with kids so that they understand about touch and that they need to know that what they want is okay and what other people want is okay. Because otherwise, we end up just feeling like we can't say no. Right. We feel like it's not okay. It's not safe. It's not appropriate. And that we're not allowed to. So it's really important that kids know where their boundaries are, that it's okay for them to say no. It's okay for them to say yes. It's okay for other people to say no, other people to say yes. And that we need to respect that in each other and that we don't always get what we want. And also it helps us to learn about disappointing other people, that it's okay to say, I don't want this and you're going to be sad about it and I can support you in being sad. I mean, kids often can't, but this is a skill that a lot of adults don't know how to do, is how to assert our boundaries in a gentle, loving and kind way. And that if somebody else is disappointed by that, we can be empathetic, but we can still say no. Mm Mm-hmm. What about when the kids get older and they start wondering about sex and want to explore, which is, you know, a part of becoming an adult, right? For sure. 
So, you know, for young kids like 5 to 11, it's really natural for them to be curious. They may have heard about sex often when you have older siblings or one of them has an older sibling who tells them. They learn about sex. They get curious about, oh, I have a penis. You have a vulva and a vagina. You know, I'm curious what it looks like. So that's really normal and natural. And sometimes it's scary to parents to think like, whoa, but we can talk about ground rules. We can say nobody touches without asking first. Nobody has to do anything they don't want to do. It's okay to say no. So this follows upon previous conversations about hugs. Mm -hmm. And everyone has to feel good about what's happening. Nobody gets to force their will on somebody else. And I think it's also important to say, you know, if you get a funny feeling in your tummy, if you feel a bit like, oh, they're asking me and I really like them, but I don't really want to do it, it's important to pay attention to that funny feeling. And that's usually their body telling them there's something's not quite right. And this is in particular important when an adult or somebody even over the, you know, more than a couple years older than them says, oh, you need to do this. You should do this. Older people are doing this. I'll be your friend if I, you do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you candy. Don't tell anybody, right? Those uncomfortable feelings are an indication that this isn't okay. And even if they say, don't tell your parents, you need to talk to your parents or caregivers or somebody that you trust. That gut sense is really important for kids to notice and to know that they should act on it and not ignore. Okay. Let's shift gears a bit and Mm -hmm. talk about verbal expressions of sexuality Mm -hmm. in the forms of comments or compliments or things like that. Because, you know, sometimes it's it's strange to say those things, but sometimes it's also off-putting to hear some things too, right? Absolutely. And so I think... There's a challenge where, you know, saying somebody is sexy, and I I remember this came up with my eldest when he was in grade six, and I remember having a whole discussion because they played this game, and you were supposed to go up to somebody who wasn't part of the game and say, you're sexy. Mm -hmm. And so on the face of it, this sounds like a nice thing to do, right? (laughs) Who doesn't want to be told that they're sexy? Well, in grade six or grade four, maybe you don't want that. Or again, it's about context. Yeah, you want that from your partner. Yeah, you want that from somebody you're attracted to. But from some random person, you don't necessarily want that. Right. And sometimes, you know, I talked to my son about this. I said, so so well, the point of that game, was that to make the person feel good? Or was that to make them feel kind of bad? Oh, well, yeah, it was kind of play with them to make them feel bad. Okay, so... Yeah that's not okay then either. And so I think it's really important to talk about how, you know, often in particular guys feel like, oh, well, you know, I just said she was sexy as I was walking by. She, you know, why wasn't she taking that as a compliment? You know, no, it's not a compliment, especially if you get that repeatedly, especially if nobody pays attention to you unless, you know, you're wearing something where, you know, they can see your breasts or whatever it happens to be. Nobody seems to care about me unless it's my looks or my hair or whatever. So I think it's important to teach kids also that consent is also about how you talk to people and that just because you say something that in some contexts might be positive, it doesn't mean that that's the case in all contexts. Okay. Let's move forward to kids who are, you know, dating or, 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 you know, like what's your advice there? How do we navigate that area? It's really awkward. It's really hard. (laughs) 
But we, you know, and even adults still struggle with it. But we need to get consent when we're having any kind of body contact, whether it's kissing or touching. And certainly in the eyes of the law, it's really important to tell our kids that if they're drunk or high, that's not consent. If their partner is drunk or high, that's not consent. And that, you know, it's a really, it's a difficult place to be. And, you know, of course, lots of teens are engaging in alcohol and different kinds of drugs, including cannabis. So it's a hard, it's a, it's a gray line, but often, you know, that's where people get charged. That's where people feel violated. And, and most of us don't want to violate other people, right? Yeah. So we need to be really careful. And also, you know, it's not okay to try to coerce someone, to persuade them, to pressure them. And sometimes it can be really subtle. So, you know, if you loved me, you would do this. We've been dating right. for six months if you loved me. Well, that's coercion, right? That's pressure. And so the other piece is that the person asking needs to hear something that's enthusiastic. You know, I guess so, or if you want to, or I suppose it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not enthusiastic consent. And that's where people afterwards will feel, will say that maybe they were pressured or, you know, it's not fun having sex with somebody who says, I guess so. It's not yeah. fun with with somebody who isn't really there. So sometimes what I say is, you know, just kind of wait until you hear them give something more enthusiastic. Wait until they come up with something that's a little bit more like, yes, I really want to do this. And that will ensure that you have a better time and it will also ensure that they don't come to you the next day and say that wasn't okay. Yep. That doesn't feel good either. Agreed. All right. So sometimes, you know, the, the challenge with getting consent is obviously rejection and, yeah. and how that would make you feel, particularly sure. if you have, you have expectations or, you know, so how would you recommend that people or kids manage fear and, and rejection? Yeah. So again, it's talking about, you know, and again, if we talk to young kids about hugs, then we know that rejection and fear is not necessarily about you. It's about the person who says no. Right. And so that's a piece to remember, which is easier said than done. But one of the big things that makes a difference is knowing what you're going to say, respond if somebody says no. So if they say, no, I'm not into it, or, you know, I like you, but not that way, what are you going to respond? And if you have that in your back pocket, you feel much more comfortable approaching them. Thanks for being honest. I'm glad I asked because I don't want to make you uncomfortable, right? That Mm -hmm. makes a really big difference. And then the other piece is how you ask. So rather than, can I kiss you? which sometimes feels like a lot of pressure in the moment, you can say, wow, you're really hot or I'm enjoying spending time with you. Let me know when it's okay to kiss you. Let me know when you want me to kiss you. And they can say like, now! (laughs) Or in a couple hours after they've thought about it or on the next date. And that way the ball is in their court and you know that they're very clearly saying, this is something that I want. Makes sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Jamie. For more information about Carlisle, visit carlislejansen.com. For great health and wellness interviews and articles, please visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. Your family's health and wellness needs should come first. These days, taking care of a loved one should be as easy as ordering goods and groceries to your door on your smartphone. You need MedWorks, an at-home service that pulls it all together. We make healthcare and wellness services easy to navigate. MedWorks, at home 
Download the app today. MedWorks. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as The Tonic, Farmer's Footprint, Florit, and Toronto Life, and is a regular garden contributor for Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she is the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information about Melissa, you can go to thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I almost didn't bring you to the show because, you know, you're talking about something that I wish to ignore. I don't want to do. (laughs) I want to put it off. But you're forcing the issue, Melissa, so we have to do it. And that is fall cleanup. You're making us do it. It's like cleaning up our rooms, I think. Same thing, right? I'm the taskmaster today. <laughs> you are. You're very strict. All right. <laughs> so when should we start cleaning up our fall garden? Yeah. So you can start cleaning your fall garden up in general around the time these start falling from the trees. So this is usually a sign that the temperatures are shifting and that the garden is ready to go dormant. So you do want to wait until we have had those first few frosts just because that does help plants drop their flowers and their leaves. And this is especially important if you plan on doing any pruning in the garden during the fall. So we don't want any pruning to stimulate new growth in your plant, which could then be damaged by the incoming cold weather. Okay, so you're saying you have to wait until the frost so that the plant itself knows that it's not supposed to be spurring new growth. Is that it? Yeah, we'll talk about pruning because I think that's a great topic to add as we go on today. But I would like you to wait a little bit. And so those first few frosts are a great indicator that the garden is sort of done. Okay, so we'll shunt pruning to the side for a moment. Let's talk about those things that you feel should be done with the fall cleanup. Okay, so let's talk about some of the musts. So first of all, the first one I like to say is take a great look around and look and see if you have any diseased plant material or plants. You know, I want you to look at the plants. I want you to look at the surface of the soil, and then those should be removed. And if possible, please put those in a garden waste bag and not right into your compost. Why is that? Because if there was any soil-borne illness or sort of infection that your plants had, sometimes our home composts don't get hot enough to sort of kill that off. Mm. And so it's safer to just put that into the yard waste bag. Got it. And then secondly, it's a really good time to look at your perennials and see if there are any dead spots. 
And so if you've got dead branches or limbs, now is the time in the fall that you can prune those off. And that's just going to help, you know, if we have a really heavy snow, for instance, it's not going to put weight on dead branches and then they're going to fall and maybe hurt some of the other branches in the plant that are still living. And then lastly, I'd love it if you removed those annual plants that are in the garden that are obviously not coming back up in the spring. And you can do this by cutting them at the base of the soil. So there's actually no need to remove their root systems. Their roots just become organic matter left behind that can help feed the soil. So it's only the roots that are positive organic materials? Like if we were to leave the stems and such, that wouldn't be usable in the garden? You could leave them depending on what you have. I think it's just a matter of deciding if from an aesthetic point of view, you can handle that kind of debris. Gotcha. What are some of the myths that people have about the fall cleanup that you'd like to dispel? Yeah, I mean, really the the cleanup part is kind of a myth. It's truly not necessary to remove any of the fallen leaves from the surface of your soil. And in fact, that leaf litter that's there is a great cover for insects and does help build your soil. You really don't need to remove any of the spent blooms on your perennials because these can actually both add winter interest. So I'm thinking about blooms from sedum or hydrangea. Yep. And they can also act as habitats for beneficial garden organisms. Yeah, I actually keep my hydrangea blooms on, and I've noticed it hasn't really impeded the growth the following year at all. So. 100%. Cool. All right. So what are the things that we can put off till spring? And speak slowly because I'm writing this down. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes we want to know like what's urgent and what can kind of be pushed back. And so beyond cleaning up the leaves that aren't diseased, pruning should actually, in most part, be left until the spring. So we talked about pruning away the dead branches, and that's a good thing. But, you know, we really don't want to stimulate any new growth in our plants. And pruning is a really complex subject. So I always refer clients to a book called The Pruner's Bible Mm -hmm. by Steve Bradley. And he gives specific plant-by-plant instructions with diagrams that are very easy to follow. And so I think that's a great task to leave off into spring. And then you have time to buy the book, too. (laughs) Good advice. All right. So what about tools? Is there any tools out there that would make our job easier or that you would recommend that would help with the process of, of the fall work that needs to be done? You know, I'm not so much a gadget girl for the tools, but I would like to think about tools in the sense of cleaning them. Ah. Yes. So before it is too cold outside, because I'd like you to do this outside, fall is, you know, a nice time to get out there and clean up the tools. So warm, soapy water and a good rinse is great for most of your tools. And then anything that you might have used, like to start plants in or pruners, you want to use something a little stronger, like a bleach solution. You know, for me, I think there's nothing more frustrating than heading into a new gardening season with dirty tools. Yep. So getting it done in the fall is super important. And I would also say that properly washing, drying, and storing your garden tools and the accessories, like any of the trellises, those types of things, will extend their life, which is going to save you money. And it's also going to save them from going into the landfill. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it might be a good time to get, you know, if you have somebody, like we have somebody who comes in and sharpens our knives. And I have them have a go at some of the tools that I'm using in the garden as well. And it's a good time to do that just to make sure. it's That's a great n- tip. Yeah. Nice. Any of your loppers, your pruners, those work best when they're very sharp. Yes. And you should wear gloves too, because they are very sharp. Like, trust me on that. <laughs> so mulch. I know mulch is a big topic for you. Let's talk some mulch in fall. 
Yeah. What happens in winter that we really don't think about so much is that there's this accumulation of water in the form of snow that comes down on our garden. And that's a good thing in the sense that uh, the soil and the water table needs that moisture. But what can also happen is that erosion occurs and compaction of the soil occurs because of the snow. So mulching is really the way to sort of give your soil that insurance and it's going to prepare it for the spring. It's going to help protect against harsh and temperature variations and harsh winds, things like that. So a nice thick layer of mulch goes a long way. Interesting. You know, I I may try that this season because usually I do my mulching in spring. Like before I do the planting, I'll I'll sort of Mm -hmm. see where the spots are that needs it. Because I I think I've told you this before, I pulled out all the grass everywhere in my yard. So it's a lot of mulch. So maybe I'll try doing it in the fall. Interesting. Okay. What about our vegetable gardens? Okay. Well, first off, I hope this fall that everyone is out there planting garlic because I think that's one of the best things to plant. Mm -hmm. And August is a great time to order that seed garlic that you need to plant in the fall. But beyond that, in the veggie garden, you're going to want to remove your spent veggie plants. So same thing, just cut them back at the surface of the soil. And then go ahead and add a nice layer of straw mulch to your veggie garden bed. So again, we're preventing soil erosion, compaction, and you're really just setting yourself up for success come spring. So I presume you remove the straw in the springtime. Is that right? Or does it just sort of fade into the soil as the, as the summer develops? Yeah. I mean, so two schools of thought, some people do mulch their gardens year round with straw. Yeah. And that's definitely okay. Uh, if you are direct sowing something, so seeding directly in the garden, you will pull the mulch back a little bit so that when the plant germinates, it's got a little bit of runway with the soil and the yeah. sun and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I do think that especially with the garlic and then in your raised beds like you have, yep. you know, a good three inch four-inch layer of mulch will go uh, a long way in keeping that top layer of the soil less compacted and sort of fluffy and nice come the spring. All right, then I've got some work to do. Time for one last question, and that is bringing plants in for the winter. And that's something I've never done before. So what's your advice on that? You can definitely attempt to bring in some of your outdoor plants that are cold sensitive for winter. And, you know, it really Look, there are lots of different plants. So don't forget that if these plants are more on the tropical side, that they will probably need some artificial light indoors to help them through those darkest parts of winter. Yep. If you do bring in something like your rosemary, for instance, I would say after digging it up and placing it in a pot, or if you already have it in a pot, I'd like to give it a little transitional phase and maybe put it in a shed or in the garage so that if there are any critters in it, they have some time to kind of walk away before you bring it inside. Got it. Good advice. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Happy fall gardening. For more information about Melissa Cameron, visit thegoodseedgarden.com. We have to take a short break, but we will be right back on The Tonic. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Join the Big Carrot for their Courtyard Market on Sunday, September 11th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can shop local vendors and enjoy an organic lunch special on the Green Roof. 
samples, book sales, live music, kids' face painting, and big deals. It's fun for the whole family. Admission is free. Stop by at 348 Danforth Avenue. The Big Carrot, your one-stop shop for everything health and wellness. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Success enabler, idea broker, and award-winning marketer at the PR department, Brigitte Foisy has been the strategist behind some of Canada and the world's biggest brands for over 30 years. Also vice president at Chefs Canada, the organization that manages our national culinary teams, is what she enjoys the most, connecting people and being the bridge to successful and mutually beneficial partnerships. Welcome back to the show, Brigitte. How are you? I'm good, especially when we need to talk about food. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. It's like you reach out to me. I want to talk about this. And I'm thinking, yeah, I want to talk about this, too. And t- and today we're going to talk about it's big news. And, and some people know about it. There, there's been a little bit of fanfare, but the Michelin star people have come to Toronto and theoretically, there's going to be some restaurants who may or may not get some Michelin stars. So we thought we'd do a little, it's not a draft, but we're going to hypothesize as to who we think <laughs> might get the nod. All right? Yes. But before we start, we need to talk about this little guide. I mean, it was yeah. created a very long time ago. I read 1889. Yep. And apparently, initially, it was to put people on the road. And the guide contained like maps and yep how to change a tire and where to fill up. Like it was literally a different thing. And it wasn't until like 1926-ish that the Michelin brothers recruited a team of mystery diners or restaurants inspectors, as we call them now, to visit and review these restaurants in Cognito. And before we start like our draft, basically, I think we need to understand the stars. So they yep. give up to three stars. According to the guide, like a one star represents very good restaurant in its category. While two-star denotes like a restaurant like boasting excellent cooking, basically word the detour kind of place. Yep. And three stars is a very select few. It's the ultimate accolade. It's afforded only to those restaurants with exceptional cuisine and work like the special journey. And there's a bunch of factors when they give these stars away. So it's obviously the chef's mastery of flavor and cooking techniques, the ability to infuse the cuisine with his or her personality. But it's also about consistency, not only just the cooking but also the overall dining experience. So we need to keep that in mind while we're doing our draft here. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always of the view, as good as the food is, if the front of the house isn't capable or if the surroundings aren't nice, you know, your meal is not going to be up to excellence standards. So, Absolutely. yes. And, and we should yeah. also note that, you know, it doesn't have to be, they give stars out to kiosks in Thailand and it doesn't need to be high-end restaurants. If the experience and the ambiance are there, it could be a very low-end restaurant that gets a star? It depends on the market. Yeah. They did that in Asia. Yeah. Uh, there's stalls that do ramen in Asia that like have Michelin stars. It really depends on the level of cuisine of each market and how they split. And even here in Toronto, I'm not too sure what the zone will be. Yeah. We know it's Toronto GTA, but are they going to go as far as, you know, Linden Hall in Cambridge or Pearl Morissette like type of thing? So I'm not sure. But for today's experiment, we'll stick to Toronto area. And I, I kind of split it in three categories. Let's okay, talk go for about it. the logical choices first. Sure. 
To me, the logical one are Dan Alfonso, because Chef Alfonso and Ernesto are Michelin-starred chefs elsewhere, and they cook in Toronto only occasionally. So to me, kind of like makes sense that they would give them a star. Yep. Boulou, for the only reason that the announcement was there. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And then same for R&D. I mean, Chef Eric Chong is one of my favorite chefs in the city. Very talented young man. It's co-owned by our own coach, Alvin Leung. And Alvin uh, has been very involved with the Michelin Guide in California and here in Toronto. So to me, that's kind of like the obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if Balud, if Balud hadn't had starred restaurants elsewhere... I'm not sure the menu and execution, although it's one of my favorite restaurants, like I think it's great, but is it a Michelin star restaurant, the one in Toronto? I don't know. Maybe. I agree. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's good for sure. Where do you want to go from here? Let's go to our, like, like the top one. Okay. Like if they don't get a star, we'll be mad kind of thing. Okay, go ahead. I'll go first. I'll go with Alo, obviously, Patrick Chris. Yep. He's on the world's 50 best, Canada's 100 best for like seems forever. He's been holding that first spot. So that would be my first that like my first out there uh, prediction. What about you? What's your, what would be your first? I would say with Aloe, it would be a shock if they weren't somehow on that list. You know, how many yeah. stars they get, I don't know. But I'd be surprised if they missed the list. That would be shocking to me. I agree. I'm just going to say it because it's my favorite restaurant. I don't know whether it's going to happen or not, but I love Bar Isabel. Agreed. Even though, it, you know, it's it's not fancy. It's, it's rustica when you go in there, but they do such a good job job. I mean, like even just sitting at the bar is a blast and the food is always amazing. So that would be yeah, my, is it anything beyond a one star? I don't know. I like, I don't think it's a three star, but definitely I would hope it's a one at least. Grant was on my list of like, yeah, I'll be upset if he doesn't get one. My obvious other would be Canoe, Ron McKay, yeah. McKinley, sorry, John Orne, the team there. They also own Auberge du Pommier. I mean, I think that's also a kind of a Obvious. You think Auberge de Pommier makes it? I don't know. I mean, I don't, it's a no. classic. I don't know. But Canoe for sure. Well, we've held events at Canoe, and I have to say it's gorgeous. I mean, we had mm-hmm. a morning event there, and the light just struck the room. Like, if the lighting is right, if, they, if the light hits right, it's a beautiful place to eat. But I actually haven't, I haven't eaten there in years, so I, I wonder if it's good. Is it still good? Is it still up there? Oh, Ron is awesome. Yeah, I, okay. it's worth the detour. Okay, you're second. <sighs> I don't know. You kind of stole my, like, (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I tend not to go for the very upscale meals. I I actually go, like if it's a Michelin star restaurant, I end up going to the sister restaurant that's more casual. I just, like recently we were in Sicily and we actually went to a Michelin star restaurant and we did also when we were in Burgundy and they were fantastic. But for us, it's special event type dining and and that's rarer than, we're out every weekend, but but we don't eat like that every weekend. Mm. Okay, Pompette. Okay. Made Air Canada's best new restaurant. Yep. So I thought that was an obvious. Yep. And I was thinking about Idilis with Michael Caballo and yep. Toby. I thought, like, that's kind of my obvious. And then I was on the fence with Lee. 
I mean, I think Lee, like, sister, like, I think he deserves a star. I like, he's been an institution in Toronto for so long. But okay, do they give out stars like that? Like, we talk at the top about consistency, right? And I used to go to Lee all the time, and it was amazing, right? Like, you'd have that, you know, just like the room would change colors while you were dining, and he was on top of his game. I think if this were five, six years ago, it would be a no-brainer. I, I, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. It's on my list. I think he deserves a star. He's an amazing chef. I put it on the list. Sushi. Yeah. I thought Masaki Saito on Avenue Road. Mm-hmm. It's only seven people. It's like the ultimate sushi experience. I was debating Kaji. I don't know if you've been to either or. But I thought, like, we need a sushi restaurant on that list. There's a place on Young Street, north of Lawrence. I can't recall the name, but it is also, it's of the same ilk. And there was a place on Harvard as well. Yes. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I know what you mean, but I don't know the name either. <laughs> but it's also limited seating. Like, I, I think you, they only have room for eight a night. And it's also like the amakasi where, you know, you're in the chef's hands and, and you know, 500 bucks a person. But, like, it's amazing. Okay, let's talk about others now. Let's, okay. let's go wild. Scaramouche, what do you think? Okay, so I've been to Scaramouche in the last six months. I'm not sure they've changed their menu in what, like 10 13 years? 13 years. 10, <laughs> 10, 13 years. And their clientele certainly loves, like, you know, the people that live in the building. And I know the developer who converted it, like, from apartments to condos. And that clientele, it's the same people there every weekend. Uh, and they love it. I don't know. Is it current enough to get a Michelin star? I mean, the food is excellent. The execution's there. The room is gorgeous. But I don't know. Sorry, I keep saying no, but I, maybe I'm tougher than the, the Michelin star voter. What do you think? We'll have to put you on the inspector's list. I don't know. That, that, that coconut cream pie is delicious. And, yeah. you know, like they do a good octopus there. I was there, like we used to go all the time and we used to go to uh, the pasta bar there as well, right? Like if you didn't feel like yes. doing the whole the whole nine yards. and But honestly, I was shocked that the menu was virtually the same when I went back there earlier this year. So I don't know. George, Grey Gardens. Okay, so George, yeah, because of the molecular gastronomy, maybe. Grey Gardens, I, I don't know. I have not been, but I hear the food is very precious. And I'm wondering if the portions are so small and it's too twee. Do you know what I mean? But that's kind of fine dining at the same time, right? Like it's not the overly... What about Brother's New Restaurant on Victoria Street? What do you think about that? I haven't been in ages. I don't, I don't know. They yeah. had a good thing going on Bay Street, and then they moved to Victoria, and everybody who's been there says it's amazing. So I think maybe they're a dark horse. Yeah, I'll put it on my list. 20 Victoria, I think is the name of the restaurant. I'm going to keep an eye on these choices, I'm just saying. Okay, so you, one last stab, and then we got to run. Anything in the distillery, you think? No, and they're my good friends and family, and I know the ownership there. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe, Il, uh, not Ilkatrin, the Frank Clooney, perhaps? I don't know. Or Batifol in, in French cuisine, but again, not super fancy. It's just great French food. I don't know. Maybe. Well, we'll have I to guess. see. We'll have to circle back. Will you come back and we'll circle back and we'll see if we're right? We'll follow up and follow on these choices. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show today. <laughs> have a good day. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Carlisle Jansen, Melissa Cameron, and Brigitte Foisy. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. 
You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Great articles by amazing health and wellness writers. Be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.